Hi, I'm Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to welcome you as you join First Baptist Watauga in listening to these messages. Whether you're listening uh, on an audio podcast or you're watching on our Facebook page or on YouTube, we're glad that you've joined us. Our heart and desire is that through these messages, you might continue to grow in your faith. We're a church that's committed to God's Word and uh, simply proclaiming the truth of what He says. And so as you join us, I hope that you grow and that you flourish in your faith. I'd also encourage you to make sure that you're plugged into a local body of believers. If you're here in Watauga, we'd love to meet you, that you could join in with us. If you're outside of Watauga, I'd encourage you to find that body of Christ that you can get plugged into. There's nothing that that can substitute for that local uh, relationship as you join with others in worship of our holy God. So welcome. We're glad that you're here to listen and join in. If you would need prayer or you need to be encouraged in some other way, I'd encourage you to uh, just simply uh, email us, uh, contact us through Facebook, and we'd love to get back with you as soon as we could. God bless you as you listen to God's Word. Amen. Y'all can be seated. Sometimes I wonder about where our society is headed uh, this year. Uh, Christmas, you know, I'm sure some of you got electronics for Christmas, and, and I remember opening a, a, a item that I'd gotten that you open it up, and uh, well, this was, I got it right after Christmas, a, a collar for my dog, uh, a little shock collar, I could track her, and, and I opened up the box, and in that, in that uh, box was a little packlet, packet of, I don't know, stuff, it says, do not eat. You know, it's little silicon beads that help suck the, you know, the, the, uh, the moisture out of it to help uh, with electronics. And I, I wonder why they had to put that warning on that packet. Did somebody think that when they ordered their stereo that, hey, they gave me a little bag of chiclets in here <laughs> with my stereo. And did somebody eat that? Uh, you know, we're faced with warnings all the time. I don't know how many times since I've lived in a Metroplex a truck driver has overturned their truck on one of those bridges that goes in a circle, and, and every one of them has a sign at the bottom of it that shows a truck tipping over. If you go too fast around that curve, you're top-heavy, you're going to tip over. And yet, time and again, we see in the morning news reports that uh, the, the freeway is shut down because a truck tipped over. Now, you know, some of them uh, are just comical. Why in the world does a tube of Preparation H have to say, do not eat on it? Who was the first person who tried that? It didn't help the problem I had, but I can sure whistle good. Right? (laughs) It took some of y'all a little bit, didn't it? Or the warnings on a hairdryer or a curling iron that say, do not use in the shower. You know, come on. If I'm washing my hair, I think I can wait till I get out of the shower to dry it, right? Yeah, some of them have more devastating consequences. Earlier this year, there was a, a man killed in the New York subway because he ignored the pleas and the warnings of a, a, a railman there to stand back, stand back as he reached out for the subway after the doors had closed and he was dragged to his death. Sometimes those warnings that we face, that we hear every day, have devastating consequences when they're ignored. Today, we're going to be looking at the fourth of five warning passages in the book of Hebrews. I told you last week, I had a ball. That the message last week launched Hebrews uh, chapter 10, beginning in, in, you know, there in verse 15, 
uh, or 19, it launched the, the, the final third of Hebrews where it's really a, a fun, exciting, you have the faith chapter in there and, and you have a lot of good uh, just advice and directives to us as a Christian because of all the things that Jesus has done, we get to walk in a new and living way. That was last week's message and, and, and it was fun to preach. Uh, because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to walk in a religious exercises. We can, we can walk in joy, in a relationship with Him. We can enter into the Holy of Holies and, and come before the Lord in prayer. And, and we, we get, but through Christ in the new covenant, we are offered something that no one else has ever had to, been able to experience throughout the history of the world before that. And then we come to the, the warning part, because just as exciting as it is that through the blood of Christ, God sent His Son to die on a cross as our sacrifice so that we might experience life in a new way. We might experience deliverance from our sin, and, and we don't have to return to that sin. So then, we have the passage that follows that with a warning. What happens for those who ignore the warning? What happens for those who ignore that directive to give your heart and your life over to Christ. And so we find that stern warning in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. It's not as fun to preach, but we're not going to shy away from what God's Word says. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For we, if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled the Son of God? who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know the one who said, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, even when it's hard. So I ask that as we consider your word and walk through this, help us to understand, give us wisdom. Lord, help us to, to see not just how this applies to our culture and our world, but Lord, help us to ask that hard question. Lord, what are you saying to me today? It seems so easy for us to see sin in others' lives. I pray that your spirit would expose our sin so we could walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. See, God's desire is just that, that we walk with him, that we walk in a relationship with him. But in light of the incredible, wonderful, unimaginable sacrifice that God would send his son to die for me, how much more responsibility is there then once I understand that, that I surrender and give my life to him and follow him? 
Now, the difficult thing about this passage, and, and we've talked about this with the warning passages before, and in fact, when, when we got to Hebrews chapter 6, I spent a lot of time dealing with a couple of the different theories and, and how people understand these texts. There's five warning passages, and most scholars see them as speaking to the same group of people. I'm going to deviate from that a little bit today, and I don't want to go through all of that and revisit all of these deep theological theories. There's no way we have time to do it today. But essentially, there's two primary theories. There's those that believe that God is, is in this passage, the writer of Hebrews is writing to people who are believers. They're part of the church, they're born again, and and there's a warning that they could lose their salvation. Now, I think with, uh, in light of the rest of the book of Hebrews and its context and in light of the rest of the New Testament, I don't take that view. I do not believe that once somebody has truly been born again of the Spirit of God and become his child, that they can lose their eternal salvation. On the other end of that spectrum, there's those who believe that the writer of Hebrews in all five of these warning passages is addressing people who were, they were, maybe heard the message they were part of the church, but they were never truly saved. And, and nobody really knew that until the time of judgment when they were exposed. And so uh, it, it's kind of a hypothetical idea. Uh, if, if they, you know, they can be a part of the church and say that they were born again, but they were never really saved, and so certainly then they're lost in eternity. And then there was the view that, that I had taken with the other warning passages, at least the first three, that Dr. Allen uh, who is a, a really an expert in Hebrews at Southwestern Seminary, he sees this as a message to believers, but it was especially, I believe, clear in Hebrews chapter 6 that Christians who disobeyed God, had a, they would lose their rewards. And so it's, it's referred to as a loss of rewards idea, that not that you wouldn't be saved, but as a Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that you kind of get in with a little smoke on your tail. You, 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 your soul is saved, but because the rest of your life was filled with just junk, that all of that's kind of burned up in the judgment. And so your soul is rescued, but you, you, get into, you get to heaven without any rewards because you've walked in sin the rest of your life. And that's how I see many of those, those passages. But this passage in particular, as I've studied it and as I've prayed over it, I believe that this is actually speaking to people who are in the church, who maybe meet with the church, maybe you're a part of the congregation, and you've heard the gospel over and over and over, and you just simply refuse to publicly confess Christ as Savior. I want to keep it real with the, the, the text that we have before us. If we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth. So you have heard, you, you, you believe that Jesus is God. You've heard that, that Jesus is the Lord. Uh, you believe that Jesus died and rose again, but you personally are unwilling to surrender your life to Christ. I've seen this happen with many people in pastoral ministry. Some who just didn't want to give up the life they were living. They were happy in the life that they had. They didn't see that they really needed Jesus. So though they believed that Jesus died and rose again, they were unwilling to profess Christ as Savior because they would have to change. Some who just liked their sin. They, they enjoyed their sin so much that they didn't want to profess Christ as Lord and Savior because they liked their sin. They believed he was who he says he is. They just didn't want to give up their sin, so they were unwilling to repent 
and give up their sin. I, I believe personally that this passage is speaking to those who maybe you've attended church, maybe you've heard the gospel for years and years and years, but you are unwilling to surrender your heart and your life to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not dogmatic about it. I, I believe that this, he may be speaking to believers here, and, I'm, and he's dealing with this idea that you better be warned. So I want you to hear it. If, if, if you're in the pew today, and, and you fit into either one of those categories, you know that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Hear this as a warning to not go on sinning, okay? Hear this as a warning to not take what Christ did for you on the cross lightly. Because ultimately, when, when we as believers who truly put our faith in Christ and have been born again, and we deliberately ignore God's warnings and go on sinning, we set ourselves up for punishment and discipline on this earth, and I believe for a loss of rewards. So hear that if you're a believer. But if you're of this other category, which I really believe this passage is speaking directly to, you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but you're unwilling to repent and give your life to Christ. Hear this warning as it's laid out here, verses 26 through 31. First of all, the first main point comes out of the first two verses, verse 26 and 27. Obstinance is deadly. I know people who have gone to church, sometimes on and off, sometimes consistently, for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and have been unwilling to surrender their heart and life to Christ. They heard the truth, and somehow maybe they thought because they attended church that that was going to be good enough. The truth of the gospel is none of us are good enough. And if you continue in your pride and obstinance to refuse to surrender your life to Christ, the consequences are deadly and they're eternal. There's four phrases here in this passage that kind of describe it. If we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth. So this is someone who has heard the good news. There's whole other issues about people who have never gotten to hear the good news. But you've heard the good news. You've heard that Jesus died on a cross and Jesus rose again and Jesus ascended to glory and that Jesus shed his blood so that you could have forgiveness of sins. You heard the truth. You've received that message. And you continue in sin. You are hard-headed enough to believe that, yes, God sent his son to die for me, but I ain't going to do nothing about it. I'm going to keep doing what I want to do. Then, the writer of Hebrews tells us, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, I believe that can be taken a couple different ways, but here's the primary idea. God sent his son to die on a cross and shed his blood so that my sin could be paid for. My sin could be washed away. And I could become a child of God. That is the only pathway to eternal life. Acts chapter 4 says, there is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. No other name other than the name of Jesus. See, some people who refuse to accept that truth are hoping that maybe there's some other way. Maybe because God's seen that I've tried to be a good dad. 
or maybe God has seen that I've tried to be a good worker, or maybe in this case, God has seen that, that I've attended church regularly for years and years and years and decades of my life. Maybe that's going to be enough. Maybe that's going to be good enough. The bottom line truth is, if you refuse to accept the truth of the gospel that Jesus died, that I might be born again, and you refuse to give your life, your heart over to Christ and surrender to him, there is no other sacrifice. You can't sacrifice enough. You can't give enough money. You can't give enough time. You cannot sacrifice enough to earn your way into heaven. There's no one else who's going to die for you. There's no one, no one else who will die for you who is enough that, that would give you that opportunity for eternal life. There is only one way. That's why Jesus told his disciples as he was headed to the cross from the upper room in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who? No one comes to the Father but through me. So if you've heard the gospel and refused the gospel and continue to walk in sin, there is no other pathway for forgiveness for you. So there's only one option left. If there's no other pathway for forgiveness, all that remains is judgment. But a terrifying, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But what does remain is a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire that is about to consume the adversaries. Folks, I don't think Scripture can be any more clear than it is here. If you painstakingly, adamantly refuse to receive and accept the gospel, the truth, seek that the, the, the blood of Christ that was poured out on Calvary be poured over your soul as you surrender your heart to, to Christ. If you refuse that gift of eternal life that God is offering you today, there's no other way. And so the only expectation that is left is that of judgment. And it's, it's a judgment that God designed for his enemies God doesn't desire that any human face that judgment. In fact, God wants so desperately that, that you don't have to face that judgment, that you can spend eternity with him in the new world that he's created and is creating. He wants so desperately that that he sent his son to die for you so that you would not face that judgment. But if you refuse the clear truth of the gospel, there's no, nothing else left because there is no other way to be forgiven of your sins. And so all that's left for you is an expectation of judgment. If you, if, if you know that you know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear the future. You don't have to fear tomorrow. You don't have to feel, fear next year. You don't have to fear death. Now, there, we all as humans have this a little bit of a sense of the fear of, un, of the unknown. But I, I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with folks who knew that they were near death because of health issues for whatever reason, and you look in their eyes and they'll say, I'm ready. I'm ready to go home. 
Because the Spirit is in me, and, and I know that I'm just going to be stepping into the presence of God. There is no fear. There is an expectation of glory. There's an expectation of something good on the other side. Even though we don't completely understand it all, there's an expectation that I'm going someplace that's going to be peaceful and joyful and, and, and that God created for those whom he loves that he wants to walk with. But for those who have not put their faith in Christ and received forgiveness of sins, there's a daunting worry because there's nothing left to expect except judgment. I've talked to some folks who, who their only hope was that there was nothing on the other side. I talked to one man who, who the doctors had given him six months to live from cancer, and I sat down and shared the gospel with him as clearly as I could, and he said, I don't believe any of that garbage. He'd been raised in church, but he didn't believe it. And the deacon who was with me said, well, what do you think is going to happen when you die? And he goes, I think we're just going to be like a fire. Poof, and it's gone. Ain't going to be nothing left. So his hope, his hope was that there was nothing on the other side. How depressing is that? His hope was that this life that he lived for 70 some odd years here was all that there was. That was his hope. What kind of hope is that? See, God's word tells us that there is something on the other side. And there's an expectation of glory for those who have received the cleansing blood of Christ upon their soul. But for those who are obstinate and refuse to repent, there's a fear of judgment. The next two verses, the, the, the writer of Hebrews gives us this comparison. And he's not making a new point. The main point has just been made. The second thing that he does, he kind of illustrates it for us. And so he says in verse 28 and 29, uh, anybody who disregarded the first covenant, okay, anybody who was functioning under the Old Testament rules, who disregarded the law of Moses, and they, they blatantly committed a sin that was worthy of death, there was no mercy. Based on the, the, the testimony of two or three witnesses, they could be stoned to death. There was no mercy. For those who disregarded God's written law in the Old Testament, there, 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 wasn't, there were certain levels of punishment. And, and once you disregarded one of these laws, there was no mercy. There was death. If that's the case for the law of Moses, if, if, if we deserve death for breaking the line, we're not really beyond that in, in our culture. Uh, there are things in, in our society that people believe are worthy of the death sentence. Even those who don't believe in the death sentence for prisoners, there are certain things that almost anybody will say, yeah, that, that person deserves the death sentence. Somebody like Hitler, most everybody would, would say, that person deserves the death sentence. There's very few people who would say, oh, no, 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 we ought to just put him in jail and pay for his care for the rest of his life. Okay, so there's, an, there, there's something inside of us that recognizes that when we break certain laws that it rises to that level that we no longer deserve life. If that's the case, that by disobeying one of the laws of Moses, it could result in death, how much more so do those who disregard the sacrifice of God's Son deserve eternal punishment? And so he says here, those who trample the Son of God. You know, one of the things as I read through these, these three ideas over and over and over today. I, I, I consider how far 
we've come in our society. And it's not, it's not new. It's been around forever. But there's those who will make fun of the Son of God, who will laugh at, who will joke about, who will take His name in vain. How much more so, how much more punishment is deserved by those who refuse the offer of God through the death of His Son. They trample the Son of God. Or consider His blood profane. That Christ shed His blood for us and it's mocked. It's considered waste. It's considered profane. It's considered worse than neutral, okay? It's considered something that's dirty and nasty. Or who insult the spirit of grace. This is the one that really spoke to me, made the most sense in some ways, because he's comparing it against that Old Testament idea where you were functioning under the the law, a legalistic spirit. Do A plus B equals C. Commit this sin in this way, you deserve death. There was no mercy. There was no grace. It it was an equivalent eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth kind of mentality. Under the new law, because God sent his son to shed his blood for us, there is grace and mercy that's poured out from the spirit of God. His grace will cover our sins if we will just simply bring our heart and our sins before him and repent of our sins. There is grace in the blood of Christ. And yet, there are those who insult that grace. Well, how do you insult that grace? One, you insult it by saying, it's not true. God's lying. (laughs) Scripture's not true. That's just an old book of fables. Or, Or you insult his grace by what we talked about in the beginning. You come and say, I believe that Jesus died. I believe that Jesus rose. I believe that Jesus is God. But I'm not going to give him my life. I'm not going to surrender my heart to him. And in that, you insult that spirit of grace. God is offering you an incredible gift. Here's a way that I've had it explained to me in, a pa- in the past. Imagine that you have a good friend who dearly loves you, and, and, and they want to give you an incredible gift for Christmas. And, and so maybe this good friend of mine has thought about it hard and, and they, they, they brought this special, uh, well, how about money? How many of y'all like money for Christmas? Yeah. You like that gift card? You like that check? You like that cash? Your friend brings you a check and they write you out a check for a Christmas gift of $1,000. Man, that's a good friend, isn't it? And you look at that check and you, you think, you know what, I don't believe this check is worth the paper it's written on. And you tear it up and throw it down in front of them. How much would that insult, your, how, would, how much would that insult you? What God is offering you by sending his son to die on a cross and shed his blood for you is worth much, much more than $1,000. And you look at that and you say, I don't want your gift, God. It's not good enough for me. I've got something better. I've got a better idea. And you turn and you walk away from that incredible gift of grace that God is offering you.
That is insulting to the spirit of grace. When we ignore the sacrifice of Christ, after we have come to the knowledge of the truth, we know what Jesus did. We know the sacrifice he made, but we refuse to accept it personally. And we walk away. We insult the God who offered us the gift of eternal life. How much more, the writer of Hebrews says, how much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled the Son of God, who has regarded profane the blood of the covenant, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? And then he appeals to Scripture. The writer of Hebrews looks back to the Old Testament, just as we appeal to Scripture today for truth and for direction. The writer of Hebrews looks back to the Old Testament. He says, for we know the one who said, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And the Lord will judge his people. There's two things that I want you to take away from this. The first one is this, the Lord is just. The Lord God is a just God. And out of his justice, he will punish and discipline sin. Sometimes we face that punishment and discipline in this life. Sometimes we don't face that punishment and discipline until after we die and we find the full force of his punishment and his discipline. And that is especially true for those who ignore the blood of Christ. But be assured, he is a just God. He's also a loving God. And that's what much of Hebrews up through Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 is talking about. He loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us and to shed his blood so that there would be a payment for our sin. So our sin was paid for. Our sin was cleansed so that we could walk in a relationship with him and would not have to face his wrath, his judgment. But he is a just God and his judgment is certain. It's certain. It may not happen on your timetable or on my timetable, but his judgment is certain. God will judge those who ignore and trample the blood of his son. The sacrifice of Christ was far too great and far too wonderful and far too beautiful for us to ignore and walk away from. So I plead with you, if you've heard the gospel, you have today, if you know that Jesus died on a cross and he rose again, you've heard that truth, and he did it so that you could have eternal life, I plead with you, don't ignore the tugging of the Spirit, that Spirit of grace that is going on inside of your heart right now. Don't say no to the gift of God. Don't insult the blood of, of God's Son, His Spirit of grace and this gift that He wants to offer you. Don't turn from it today. Turn to it and receive that gift of eternal life. And be willing to walk as a child of God, receiving all the, the, the benefits and, and the, the hope and the future that you have that you, that you find in Christ. If you're a believer, 
and the Lord has spoken to your heart through this passage, maybe you're one of those folks who you know that you know that you're a, you're a child of God. But right now, <laughs> you've got sin in your life that is habitual and ongoing, and you need to walk away from it. Lay it down at the altar. Don't leave here carrying that sin with you again. Leave it at the altar. Come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your deliverance. I need you to, to give me victory over this sin and walk away from it. The gift of God is free to those who will receive it. That's the beauty of it. It's a free gift. You, you can't do anything to earn God's gift of grace, God's gift of eternal life. It's, it's free offering from God. He, he offers you this gift of eternal life. He offers you a gift of forgiveness of sins that comes through the blood of his son. But what was free to you cost God. It cost him watching the suffering and death of his son that he could have stopped at any moment. It cost God more than we could even imagine. Yeah, it's free to us. But when we refuse that free gift, we insult God in the gift that he's offered us. If we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment. You have an opportunity today. We're going to... We're going to open the altar and give you an opportunity to respond to the message of God's Word. If, if you need to come pray at the altar and lay down your sin, come to the altar and lay down your sin. If the Spirit of God is calling you and saying, look, you need to come and give your life over to Christ and, and, and determine that you're going to follow Him, pray to receive to receive that gift of eternal life that you might become a child of God. And you're going to turn from your sins, you're going to repent, and you're going to follow Him. If that's where you are, if you've never done that, no matter how many times you've been in church, no matter how many gifts you've given, or no matter how many times you've heard the gospel, if you've never committed your life to Christ as your Lord and repented from your sins and turned from it, do that today. Because that's the only way. You can keep looking for another way for the rest of your life, but there is no other way. There's no other sacrifice for your sin other than the blood of Christ. And it may very well be that, that there's some other decision that God's called you to make. I, I know that I've spoken to a couple people this week that they believe God's called them to unite with this church body. That, that they believe after hearing the word and, and the spirit speaking to them that God's called them to join and, and unite with us and, and fellowship with us as a church family. And if that's you, this is that opportunity as well for you to respond. But this is your opportunity to respond to what the spirit of God is speaking to you in your heart. So I want to pray as Matthew and the praise team comes. And, uh, and, and my prayer is that, that you that have heard his word would respond to his truth. Father, thank you for your word, even when it's hard. Lord, we love to believe that there's other ways. We love to believe that everyone and somehow uh, finds forgiveness and finds eternal life. But your word's clear that you are a just God. And those who refuse the gift of eternal life that you offer through your son ultimately face terrifying punishment. Father, I pray today that if there's anyone 
that's hearing this message, that is that has never taken that step of obedience to give their heart and life to you, to publicly follow you, to follow you in baptism, that today would be the day they make that decision to follow you, to give their life to you. Lord, I pray that when we finish this prayer, that they'd immediately stand up and come forward and talk to Kevin or I, find out what it means to give their whole life to you. But Lord, if there's someone that still has questions, they're still wondering, they're still seeking the truth, I pray that they would come that we could pray with them and Lord that, that they could sit down with a, with a counselor and learn more about what it means to give their life to you but Father there's honestly there's just some of us that are believers we know that we're your children but we're walking in disobedience to you in our sin Father I pray that we lay that down and give you all of our hearts give you every area of our lives and Lord this is your time to work in our hearts let your spirit move. We pray in Jesus' name. You stand with me as Matthew and the praise team lead us in this song. If God's tugging on your heart, you come.